You know, I want to kind of start in a similar way in uh, taking a moment to say thank you to all of you who expressed uh, just genuine concern and love this week and, and a commitment to pray for our church staff and for our elders uh, and for our church family and also a commitment to pray for Pastor Joel and his family as well. So many of you have just expressed that, um, reached out and, and uh, said, hey, in this season, we're going we're gonna to do what God asks of us and we're going to sit with open hands before him and we're going to choose to love well. And you really have done an amazing job doing that. So thank you, church family, for doing that. Uh, also, I don't, I don't say things like this a lot because um, as a pastor, I think in the world we live in, uh, people hear this as pastor speak or over-spiritualize uh, things. And so I don't want to be guilty of doing that. But I want to say that this morning's message, I feel like just like last week's message was just written by God. He just, uh, Sean, Pastor Sean and I sat down together both last week before this, uh, last week's message and this week, and it's like the Lord just kind of said, this is what I want you to say. <laughs> and I don't say that very often again, because um, I, I, I wish I could tell you that I felt so close to the heart of God that every week's message felt like it was exactly what God said I was supposed to say. Um, but I definitely sense that this week, that God's just working in unique ways and that there are things that he, he wants uh, to be shared this morning. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, excited and encouraged. And if you don't like the message, then I kind of just put it all on God. So it... <laughs> takes a little pressure off me too, which is helpful. So when we're in a season of transition, so much of the time we have a lot, we have a lot of questions, right? We want to know what's coming next. Uh, we say, God, would you, help us, would you help us know what's next? And seasons of, of big transitions, I think this is especially true. And I'm sure all of you have had transitions like this. Some of you might be in them right now. If you're here and you're you know, nearing the end of high school, uh, you know what it's like, how much pressure they put on you to know what your next step is, whether you're going right into a job or you're choosing a college and then which college and what am I going to take? And it's just such a huge decision and it feels like they start putting that pressure on you when you're in like seventh grade now uh, to decide that so early on. So it can be a lot of pressure and, and transition. You just want to know, someone help me figure out what's next. Or maybe you're here and you're ending, uh, you're going to be married, what's my next step in the future? Just you want to know, you want to get a, a handle on, on what's coming next. Maybe you're here this morning and you're faced with some kind of a health issue and even the doctors, I just spoke with someone this morning who said, you know, for six months they've been telling me I have this issue, but they've not given me any direction or understanding of what, what's next for me. They're just kind of trying to figure it out themselves. And I'm not blaming the medical world, I just know how... how concerning that can be when you're the person who's saying, I just want to know, how can I treat this? What is it? What's going on inside of me physically? You know, or maybe you're, you're out of work, you've been out of work for a while, and you're looking for a new job, and, and you don't know if you're going to be able to find something in your field or something that you like, and should you just settle for something that maybe has worked for you in this time, or should you hold out? And You just want to know what's next. We all do. So last week we were reminded by Jesus as we looked at Acts chapter 1 that God and his work are larger than any one of us individually and that Jesus' church is bigger than any one of us. It belongs to him. It was his idea in the first place. Daybreak was his idea in the first place. It wasn't my idea or anybody else's idea. That God birthed our church. And in Acts chapter 1 we see Jesus pointing his disciples as he was getting ready to ascend and he's giving them direction. He's about to ascend into heaven and he's pointing them towards gathering together in prayer and waiting on God's spirit. And last week we invited the church family to do the same. Would you gather together in this season with open hands and wait on God's spirit? God, where are you leading us next? 
And I imagine that as they gathered together and prayed, prayed, they remembered, the disciples remembered Jesus along the way saying to them really clearly that, hey, when I go, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And even greater things are going to happen than when I was here. And can you imagine them just talking about, like, is it possible that, like, greater things could happen in Jesus' absence when they thought about the miracles that he had done and the healing, the way that he had healed people, the way that he loved so well all of them and anybody they came into contact with, the way they saw him love sinners so perfectly. He would sit down in their homes and break all tradition of of religious people being able to sit with sinners. Jesus did that so well, and they watched it, and they watched him draw crowds of thousands because of it, because he knew how to love people really well. The disciples, I imagine they were just sitting there saying, could it really be better? Could it get better? Could greater things happen? But out of loving obedience, they followed Jesus' direction in Acts chapter 2, and they united together in prayer, and they sat before the Lord with open hands, waiting And then in Acts chapter 2, we see something incredible happen, and that's that the church just exploded and became everything that God had planned it to be or dreamed for it to be in a really short, amazing time because they waited on the Lord and they were obedient and waiting for his empowerment for them to move forward. And so today we want to take the next step in this conversation that we're having as we unite together in prayer and we seek God with open hands and open hearts, both individually and as a church family. And so this is where we want to pick up the story today. This is the moment when Peter, you remember Peter, Peter was the impetuous guy who said things that he wished he wouldn't have and probably the other disciples around him wished he wouldn't have. Peter was the guy who rejected and denied even knowing Jesus three times in Jesus' moment of need when Jesus is on his way to the cross. And in that moment, Peter disassociated himself completely with God I want you to think about this. If you're a person who says, God can never use me, you don't know my past, you don't know my story, here's the deal. You should know that that was Peter's story, and probably way worse than yours. And you should know that really that's the story of every person, every Christian, every follower of Jesus, is that at one point I rejected God, at one, at one point in my life I pushed away from him, at one point in my life I didn't even want to be associated with God, and yet somehow God has done this incredible thing in my heart, And he's brought me into his family and he's made me a part of this incredible mission of his. He's given me purpose and hope. I just never dreamed it could happen. So this is the same Peter. He now has an open heart and open hands to God's spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter steps up in front of thousands of people. And he preaches this powerful message about Jesus. And at the end of it, he says this in Acts chapter 2 verse 36. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord, to be leader, and to be Messiah, to be Savior, forgiver, redeemer. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? How should we respond? What's next? So Peter has this huge crowd around him who had been witnesses to Jesus' death and resurrection. Okay, these people were present. Probably a lot of people in the crowd were ones who shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Peter's standing before a crowd who also knew that he was resurrected and that nowhere in Jerusalem could anyone explain where the body of Jesus was. No one could explain it. And they knew that the Romans were afraid because they couldn't explain this one away. So here's this crowd, a thousand, standing before Peter. And Peter says, you know the Jesus that you crucified. (laughs) It's important. He said, the Jesus that you, you crucified 
the Jesus that you hung on a cross. Peter's getting his, his uh, chutzpah on here as he's facing down this big crowd. He says he was the son of God. He was to be our leader and our forgiver, and he wants to be your leader and forgiver. That's why God sent him. And the crowd is so moved. These thousands of people are so moved. They say, what should we do? What's next? Where do we go from here? And Peter, in the next few verses, goes on to say, it's time for you to say yes to Jesus' forgiveness. It's time for you to say yes to Jesus' leadership. And I imagine, like some of you here today, you might still ask, but what happens if I fully say yes to Jesus? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what happens when we say yes to Jesus personally and what can happen when we say yes to Jesus through our church when all of us say yes to him together as part of our next step. And I want to encourage you to pull your outlines out today and uh, you can follow along in Acts chapter 2 right in your outline. We have the verses there for you. You can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. But I'd really love to, see, um, to have you see today how God is calling us to a next step, both you personally and for our church family as well. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you were here this morning and you would say, I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you made a commitment to follow him, do you remember the first time that you said yes to Jesus' forgiveness in your life? I want you to think about it for a minute. Do you remember the first time that you realized, I am a sinner and I need a savior. Like, my life apart from God is a disaster in the way that I'm living it. And my sin is hurting myself and it's hurting other people around me. And I need a savior because I can't save myself. And this whole awareness that Jesus lived this holy life and came and, and sacrificed his life and, and, and defeated sin, death, and hell on your behalf, he did that for you and that awareness became real to you and whatever that did to you emotionally or where you were in that moment, you just stood before the Lord and you said, God, I need you to forgive me. And I embrace your forgiveness. I welcome it. All right, if you remember that time, because I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable, just wink at me right now. All right, that was a great moment. Never experienced that before. But you remember it. Don't we remember that moment? That moment when we realized Jesus, I need your forgiveness, and I need it. I don't just need it today, and I just don't need it for my past. I'm going to need it for every day moving forward, because someday I want to stand before a just and holy God, and I want to be under grace. I don't want to be responsible for my sin. I can't be responsible. I can't atone for my sin, but Jesus can. And so someday when I stand before you, Lord, that's, that's my desire, is that because of Jesus' blood applied to my life, I'm made pure and holy before a holy God, it's an awesome thing. And maybe some of you remember the first time that you said yes to Jesus' leadership in your life. Not just to him being your savior, but to him being your Lord. You decided to obey what God was asking of you and you stepped up and you stepped out on faith and maybe you served something or you led something or you sacrificed something or you prayed over someone or you took a step of faith and you went on a missions trip because God was telling you to. You did it. You said, you're my leader. I'm not, making, I'm not calling the shots in my life anymore, Lord. I've tried that for a long time. It's not working out very well. So you call the shots in my life, and my job is going to be to, obedient, to be obedient. I'm going to recognize you as my leader. And some of you remember that, and you remember being in awe of God and the work that he started to do in and through you because you never thought God could do stuff like that in you. 
When we say yes to Jesus and we really surrender ourselves to a relationship with God, to be led by him, those are the moments where we're in awe of God. We're in awe of his love for us and how he changes us and his power at work in us. And honestly, it's a little bit like the first time that you fall in love. You're so in awe of someone that you rearrange your entire life to be centered around that person, don't you? When you fall in love with someone, all of a sudden, like, it's no problem clearing the schedule to make sure everything works around your thing. It's a lot like that. When we receive God's forgiveness and his leadership, we're just in awe of him. And we want our lives to kind of be rearranged so that we can engage in that love relationship even more. And those are the eyes that you need to have to really see this passage clearly this morning. So I wanted to help you set that up so that you could process this in, in the way that I believe God wants us to. Because the people in the text that we're unpacking today were in awe of God. They were just in awe of him. And I want you to see what happened. So if you can follow along with me in Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 42. And it says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So they were devoted to these practices that would keep them focused on Jesus. And you can underline them in the, po- in the passage, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, communion together, prayer. And then you can circle this, and a deep sense of awe came over them as they devoted them th- themselves to things that were centered on Jesus. I want you to catch this for a minute because it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Did you ever think that at this time there was no New Testament? Okay? So when they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, what they were really devoted to is the gospels that were yet to be written. They were devoted to the stories of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, Jesus' character and his person and the way that he loved. The apostles were recounting these things to them, which eventually the Holy Spirit, within the next uh, short season after that, the Holy Spirit would inspire and they would write down and would become the gospels that are so meaningful to us today because they unpack and help us understand the life and the person of Jesus. That's what they were devoted to. When it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were actually devoted to being centered on Jesus because that's what the apostles were proclaiming. That's what they were centered on. And what was the result of them spending time in in these Jesus-focused practices? Well, it says this deep sense of awe of God's love and power was on display in their lives. And then I want you to look at what happened next, starting in verse 44. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They sold their property. They shared everything. They gathered together so that they could continue to be in awe of God and continue to be focused on Jesus and his work. And when we have that sense of all of God in our life, the things that our life, that come out of our life are a response to God and his work around us. And we want to engage in these environments that are going to engage us in being God-centered and being Jesus-centered with our lives. So I want to take a few minutes this morning, and I just want us to look together at a few life-changing environments that are talked about here in Acts chapter 2. Because these environments answer the question of what's next. When the people said to Peter, what's next? God began to show up and then they began to respond to God. 
It was a loving response of the 3,000 people who said yes to Jesus when they asked Peter, what should we do? And Peter said, well, basically surrender your life and be baptized. And they did. And then their entire lives became this beautiful response of saying yes to Jesus because they had this deep sense of awe of God at work in their lives and around them. So what's one of the first things that we see them do? Well, I want you to look at verse 46 with me. They worship together at the temple each day. They worship together at the temple each day. Would you underline or circle that phrase in your outline? Just they worship together at the temple each day. And then if you have space in the margin, you can just write this word. Just write celebrate out there in the margin. The whole point of the temple, the whole point of the way that the temple was built was to help people be in awe of God to be able to come and worship God. The temple was majestic and was designed to help people realize how amazing God is. And if you want to read about that, you can look at 1 Kings chapter 6, and it will tell you all about the way the temple was built and how incredible it was. I mean, the temple was the center of the city. It was the center of their place of worship, and it made people be in awe of God. So there was something powerful that happened back then when they gathered together in worship, and I believe it's true of us today as well, when we stand shoulder to shoulder together in awe of God in worship and we hear God's loving truth for our life proclaimed and we celebrate God's grace and we have this desire to gather together in an environment of worship as our response to Jesus. You know, and when we're together in moments like these, we look around in the room and we're reminded to be in awe of God because we're a family, we're his family, and we see people worshiping. I want to tell you so many times, you guys are worship leaders for me on a Sunday morning, and many of you have heard me tell you that. I have come and told you that afterwards. Not only the people on the stage who do an amazing job of leading us in worship and pointing us to Jesus, but when I'm sitting across the room a couple Sundays ago and I look across to this side and I see someone not even able to to sing the song in worship, just sitting with open hands before the Lord. That person was a worship leader for me. They drew me right into God's presence. When I look back and just happen to look over my shoulder and see someone in the middle of the room with hands surrendered, that person is a worship leader for me. They point me to Jesus. That can only happen when we're shoulder to shoulder and when I'm in the presence of other believers. When I look down and I'm praying and I see tears running down somebody's eyes, just running down their cheek from their eyes, And I see God at work in them and them responding to the work of God or the prompting of God's spirit in their life. You are a worship leader for me. You're bringing me into the presence of God by your response. When I come in on a Sunday morning and I'm dragging and someone gives me a big hug and welcomes me in Jesus' name and just loves me the way God would, you're a worship leader for me. You draw me into the presence. We're shoulder to shoulder. You know, when I... I'm up preaching and I look down and I see someone who's craning their head beyond someone else, hanging on every word, not because it's my word, but because they believe that it's the word of God for their lives. And they're going to write it down and they're going to apply it to their lives and they're going to make it stick that week because they want to live with God's word applied to their life. You're a worship leader for me when I see that. Every one of you, those are things that can only happen when we're shoulder to shoulder together in worship and we celebrate God together. And it's an amazing part of our response to God. Worship together isn't just another thing uh, that you put on your calendar or on your weekend schedule if, if it doesn't interfere with other things. Gathering in worship is part of your loving response to God. 
And you know what this feels like, like we talked about earlier, when you're in love and you just can't wait to be present with that person. You know, as a pastor, do you know how many times people come up to me, especially like on the big holidays like Christmas and Easter, and they walk up and their head is hung, and I know what they're going to say before they even talk to me. Hi, I haven't been in church for a while. (laughs) And and so many things in that moment that I want to do, part of me just wants to reach out and give them a big hug and say, it's okay, I'm glad you're here now. And that's usually what I do say to them. But inside my heart, there's another thing that happens, and that's that I'm sad for them. I'm sad for them because I know that if they're not here in worship together, that they're going to lose the focus of Jesus being the center of their lives. If they're not here in worship together, they're going to be out worshiping something somewhere that is the world's idea, telling them that if they worship something else or they give all themselves to this other piece or this other thing, that then they're going to find fulfillment or completion in life. And so if they're not here, they're just somewhere else, and that somewhere else isn't going to help them keep God in the center of their lives, and they're going to miss out. And it makes me sad for them. And I have this feeling that they really believe that we're taking personal attendance records and we turn those into the Lord every week and they're just coming to confess. <laughs> Say, look, it's not about your attendance. It's about your heart and it's about your worship. Don't miss it. Awesome stuff happens when we're shoulder to shoulder together. Last week, I invited a friend to come to church newer friend for me, and it's been a long time since he's been in church. And when I invited him to come to church, I didn't know what last week was going to be about. And so because he hasn't been in church for a long time, you can imagine um, I didn't get to talk to him after the service. I got to greet him before the service, but I was a little concerned about maybe how he took last week in. And so I followed up with him on Sunday night, and I just sent him a quick text and said, hey, so glad you were in church. I said, how were you doing? How did, I hope that it was a good, good morning for you. And You experienced God's presence and God spoke to you in the morning. And this is what he said to me. He said it was a great day. He said, he said, the music touched me. Your words, God's word brought something out of me. And I was right where I was supposed to be. It hit like a bullseye on my heart. Basically he said, I wasn't all of God. I came into God's presence. I was shoulder to shoulder with other people that I saw who really believed, who believed what you were talking about and were living it out. He said he was in awe of God. And I want to ask, have you experienced that recently, that deep sense that you're in awe of God and his grace in your life and his power to work in and through you? That's the deep sense that the early church experienced every day. That's why they couldn't help themselves but to come together to the temple every day. How many of you could use that sense of awe again in your life today? That sense of how great is our God? How loving, how forgiving, how healing is our God? Look, here's the the danger of not coming to worship. The danger isn't that your life won't go on and that you won't be able to live just like everybody else. The danger is that your life will go on and you will live like everybody else. And you'll be detached and angry and isolated and feel distant from God, worshiping something that won't satisfy your soul because you gave yourself to whatever it is, the pursuit of kids' sports and other activities, and you just need a day away. And so 
you're just gonna go and be by yourself. What you miss is shoulder to shoulder, giving awe and glory to a great God, being reminded of his truth and his love for you, and being able to walk that out in your life because you get to be led in worship by your spiritual family, side by side. Don't miss it. We risk God becoming an add-on to our lives instead of him staying at the center of our lives. And when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to him being right in the center of our lives. So when the crowd said to Peter, what should we do? What, ha what happened next? They responded by celebrating in worship together, and they also responded by doing something else. And you can look at verse 46, and you can see it there. It says, they met in homes. Would you underline that? They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Maybe beside they met in homes, you just want to write connected. They connected. So they discovered the importance of connecting and doing life together as they gathered in smaller groups in people's homes. And the earlier believers' res response included this strong desire to do life together because they had all said yes to Jesus and to what he was all about. And they met in homes all of the time. When they said yes to Jesus, they came together in these smaller environments where they could know each other and where they knew they could be known by each other. They could come together and learn how to really love each other and care for one each other the same way they felt when they were in Jesus' presence. Fellowship is a part of God's desire for you as a follower of Jesus. And fellowship isn't just when we get together with a bunch of people and have a meal together. It happens when we're with other believers in an environment where we all are intentionally saying, Jesus is at the center of this. Food might be at the center of it, but Jesus is also at the center of it. Where the purpose for us is to help us live and love with Christ at the center of our lives. And you and I need relationships in our lives where we can know other believers and we can be known by other believers. We need environments where we can learn to love each other well and become like Jesus as we look at his word together and we pray together and we laugh together and we cry together and maybe most importantly, we do eat together. And I will tell you this, that when they met in homes, they didn't have family rooms and living rooms back then. Guess where they spent the whole night? Reclined around the table, sharing a meal together. That's the way they got together. When you invited people over, you didn't sit in front of a big flat screen TV and watch a show together, and you sat around the table, and you spent the whole evening reclined comfortably around the table together, enjoying each other's company. So I want to ask, do you have that kind of environment? Are you in one of those environments where you can practice loving well, loving others just the way that Jesus did? Are you in an environment that's going to inspire you to have Jesus at the center of your life? You know, when people are in small groups, Marriages are strengthened, people's needs are met, people are cared for when they're hurting, people are provided for when they're in a tough financial season. All kinds of amazing God things happen when you're in community together. And if you don't have it before you need it, you're not going to have it when you need it. If you don't have fellowship and biblical community before you need it, you're not going to have it when you need it. This is the place where God's love becomes tangible and really gets experienced in small groups. And that's what God wants you to experience. God wants you to have these kind of relationships. And that's why we're inviting you to be a part of a small group. And listen, we're going to spend uh, the entire month of October and into the month of November doing this uh, amazing study together. We're going to do it on the weekends. We're going to do it in our small groups. And we're going to give you opportunity to do it devotionally as well. 
And it's all gonna be about the one and others from scripture. All the things that Jesus and his followers encouraged us is the way that we love one another well. Because if we love one another well, God shows up when we're Jesus to each other. And we experience the power and the presence of Jesus through each other in incredible ways. And what does the Bible say? The world says that they will know we are Christians by the way that we love each other, right? They'll know that we're followers of Jesus by the way that we love each other. So we're going to spend the month of October and November just looking at how do we love well like Jesus taught us to? How do we love one another well? And you're going to want to be a part of that. We want you to live that out as a part of our church family this year. In your worship guide today, there is a small groups guide. It says fall 2017. I want to encourage you to pull that out, take a look at it today. If you're not connected to a small group through Daybreak, there are so many different opportunities and ways that you can do that, different groups, kinds of groups that you can be involved in. Just explore that. You have this month to kind of look at those options and make sure you get signed up for one so you can be a part of community. And uh, Jason, who leads our small group efforts at Daybreak and does a great job doing that, actually has a video to share with you and no words. So let's watch. Thanks, Jason. So they, they celebrated in response to what God was doing in their life. They connected with God's family. And then there's a third environment I want you to see this morning. And it, we're going to look at verse 43, if you'd follow along there. It says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. We just circle the word shared there at the end and then underline with those in need. They shared with those in need. So what happens next? They realize that part of their saying yes to Jesus was to give whatever they had to offer to meet needs in Jesus' love. They began contributing, contributing to the work that God was doing around them. And we see the apostles demonstrated that when empowered by the Holy Spirit, we all have gifts that we can offer back to God that will be used to meet needs and help change the lives of others so that they can too see Jesus clearly. Also in response to saying yes to Jesus, look at what they shared. It says they shared their time, they shared their talent, they shared their treasures, and it changed people's lives as they did it. They made their contribution to God's work. Look at, verse, look at the result in verse 47. It says, They celebrated God and enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. Not just those who were a part of the church, but they celebrated God and they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. What might happen this year at daybreak if in response to saying yes to God, we used our time, our talent, and our treasure to contribute to God's work so that people in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces saw it? And they were attracted to Jesus because of it. I want to ask, how much bad press did Joel Olstein get this week? You know, listen, I'm not making any statement about Joel and his church um, or what you think about Joel Olstein, but I want you to hear this point this morning. Joel Olstein got bad press because the culture assumed that he was unwilling as a pastor and they were unwilling as a church to open their doors to people in need. Whether that's true or not, I know Joel came on, and, and again, I'm not here to defend or condemn Joel. Uh, that has, the point is this. The culture is waiting for the church to step up and provide care and meet needs in Jesus' name. They expect it of us. And when they felt as if it was missing and it wasn't happening, they were so hard on the church. And what did it do? It gave a bad reflection of Jesus. Again, whether it was true or not, I don't want to... It, in their minds, this is, a bad, this is a blemish on the name of Jesus that this church was unwilling to step up and be a part of God's work in this world. Look, 
I hope that if anyone ever scrutinizes Daybreak Church for anything, I hope that they'll say, no way, that church is all in in meeting needs in this community in Jesus' name. I am so, and because, not because of Daybreak to be celebrated, so that Jesus is celebrated and so his name is never blemished ever through our church family. And so we have this opportunity to show the community, to show the world what it looks like to say yes to Jesus and be so devoted with our yes that we serve and give in every area of our life. It was part of the early church's response to Jesus and we have this incredible opportunity for it to be a part of our response as well. And I am so excited about this because I see this in the heart of our Daybreak family. On Friday morning, I took my daughter to Dunkin' Donuts. It was her 12th birthday and I told her she, I could take her anywhere she wanted to go for breakfast and she chose Dunkin' Donuts because we are a high-end family. <laughs> this, is, this is the pinnacle. This is what we do. So we're at Dunkin' Donuts and um, someone from Daybreak brother walks in from daybreak, great guy, and, and we greet and talk to him for a little bit, and he's got his two little girls with him. He's taking them out for breakfast, too, and all of a sudden, I'm talking to my daughter, and I see him scoop up one of his girls and, like, run for the door, and I thought, oh, my word, is there some kind of emergency, and I watched him do this because there was a woman standing at the door who had her arms full of coffees and things that she must have been taking to work, and she was about to drop them and she, as she was trying to get the door open, and he sprinted to make sure he could get that door open for her and serve her in that way and then ask her if she needed further help. And I was just like, just watched it. I was like, way to go, Adam. Like, just way to go. I mean, you just killed it on that one. Just, and that's just a little thing. But I got to tell you, this is why I love being a part of this church family. It's because this is a part of our heartbeat and it's out of obedience to God and I see it all the time. You know, in most churches they say 20% of the people do 80% of the ministry and you know, 80% of the people sit around watching the other 20% of the people do it. Do you know in our church family, there are over 65% of members and regular attenders who are fully engaged in some form of ministry. Over 65% of people who are members and regular attenders. I love that about being a part of our church family. I love that that we serve and that we give and we say, look, we wanna offer ourselves back to God in a way that's going to have impact on our world. So that in this past year, as we went through this refocus process, one of the things that we realized was that 90% of our current ministries are only accessible to people who either come to Daybreak or have heard of Daybreak or found out about it in one way or another. 90% of the ministry that we do. And we're like, we do so many amazing ministries that would be so good for our community and could help be a bridge for them to Jesus and meet a need in, in love and introduce them to God in some way that we said we can't, We've got to find a different way to do ministry. And so we made this commitment to make our ministries more accessible to the community and to have impact in the lives of people who haven't made it here yet so that they could experience Jesus' love and his touch in their life. And, and that's something that you're going to hear a lot more about this year. As a matter of fact, if you flip your outline over, you'll see there's an area in your scoop and it's got lines and dots around it. And it says Community Impact Ministries. And we're putting a big focus on this this year. You're going to hear more and more about it. As a matter of fact, we have a series coming up at Christmas time. It's called Mercy Christmas. Did you get it? Not Merry Christmas, but Mercy Christmas. Yeah. We thought it was brilliant. <laughs> this series that we're doing, though, is all about how we can be a part of God's work in our community, how he's called us out. And this is really going to be an introduction to what we hope becomes, continues to become more and more a, uh, just a critical part of our DNA as a church family as we pour into the community and the lives of others. There's a few things, and we want you to know about what's going on. Not, you're welcome to be a part of any of the community impact ministries if they meet a need for you as well. 
But we also want you to know so that you can invite a friend who you know has that need. We want you to know so that you can go and bring somebody along with you. You know there's a need. There's a, it says dollar yoga on there. If you're confused about that, one of the things that we found out is that our community is desperately in need of, of exercise classes and a lot of people can't afford to be a part of a gym. So we just offered this thing. You can come out for a dollar a night and take a class if you don't have the dollar. It doesn't matter, but it's holy yoga, so don't worry about it. We're not focused on, centered on anything else other than God. And it's an amazing night. And it's led, we did it this spring, led by one of our church family members, and you wouldn't believe the response. It's been amazing to see how many people from the community came to be a part of it. It's just wonderful. We just want to continue to say, God, how do you want us to reach in to our community and meet needs? You can continue to look for those opportunities on the scoop. I want to wrap up today. Here's what I want you to think about. Here's the question for you to consider today as you think about what God wanted to speak to you. Why? Why is the question? Why would you want to say yes to God? Why would people give up their precious time to come together and worship? Why would people reprioritize their lives to be with each other? Why would people sell their positions and give their money to, build, uh, to people who have need? Why? I want you to look at verse 38. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they said, Peter, what should we do? And Peter said, turn to God. Come before him with open hands. Ask God to be your forgiver and leader. Be baptized as a sign that you've done that. Be changed by God's spirit. Build a relationship with the living Christ who rescued you and promises to transform you and give you purpose and meaning in your life. You know, Christians will often say, well, I'm saved. But what they mean by that it really is I turned to God and said, God, would you forgive me? But we're not just saved and that's it. When we're saved, that's the beginning. God's mission is to restore us. God's mission is to transform you. He wants to free you from your past so that you can live as the person that he created you to be and so that you can become more and more like Jesus every day that you're on this planet. And believe it or not, that's not all. It's not just for your benefit. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 39, it goes on and says this. This promise is to you. It's to your children. It's to those far away. It's to all who, have, who are willing to call, who have been called by the Lord our God. When Jesus saves us and restores us, it's not only for us, but it's for the sake of others as well, for our children, for our families, for our neighbors, for our friends, even to people who are far from God. God is doing this work in us so that Jesus can be seen through us and so that others can experience God's love and his power at work in their lives. It's not just about you. He's doing this transformational work in you so he can do it through you and others can be benefit from it. And Daybreak was founded on this principle. We want to be like Jesus so that people learn to like Jesus. We want to be transformed and restored to who God created us to be, not just for ourselves, but also for the sake of others. Because everyone in your life that you lock eyes with matters to God. And the more your life becomes like Jesus, the more opportunities people will have in your life to like Jesus and then to begin to love Jesus and then to say yes to Jesus as well because they were introduced to the true Jesus through your transformed life. I want to ask you this this morning. I asked you at the beginning, do you remember what it was like when you said yes to Jesus? Well, let me ask you another question that's a, a little harder to wrestle with. Do you remember what it's like to say no to Jesus in your life? Because I do. I did a lot of that, especially as a teenager. I said yes to Jesus' forgiveness but even after I said yes to, to him as my savior, I said no to his leadership. 
I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to date the girls I wanted to date. I wanted to say what I wanted to say, rant about whatever I wanted to rant about. I wanted to get whatever career and job I wanted to get. So I said yes to his forgiveness, but I did not say yes to his leadership. And maybe because that's because I didn't have confidence in this one truth that I've experienced over and over again since then. And that's that saying yes to Jesus is like saying yes to the greatest joys that God wants to give you in life, but you have to be willing to trust him. And that's your step of faith today. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you've said yes to Jesus, but today you feel drawn to say it again. Maybe today you've discovered that there's an area of your life that you want to make a fresh commitment to say yes to Jesus as part of your personal response to God. And you want to engage in one of these life-changing environments that we talked about this morning. You want to celebrate and worship. You want to connect with God's family. You want to be a part of contributing to God's work. And I promise when you do it, it's going to inspire you once again to be in awe of God and the incredible work that he'll do in and through you. Maybe you've been admiring Jesus for some time, but you're here today because you really want a new day, a fresh start, a change in your life. And it, and it all starts this morning with that step of faith. It starts with you saying yes to Jesus' forgiveness and to his love in your life and his leadership in your life as well. And maybe you don't fully know what all of that means, and that's okay. Just saying yes to him is the place where it begins. Maybe you want to pray this prayer along with me. Jesus, I'm asking you to be my forgiver. I'm asking you to be my savior. I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of a savior. So I sit before you with open hands this morning, Lord. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. I don't want to hurt myself and hurt others with the sin in my life. Jesus, would you be my forgiver? Maybe others of you want to say, Jesus, I'm asking you today to be my leader. Maybe I asked you before to be my forgiver, but I've never really given you leadership of my life. Would you be my leader? You can call the shots. I'm going to come and sit before you with open hands and ask you to inform my decisions. I'm going to ask you to give me direction. And I'm going to do everything I can to obey. God, I want to know you as the leader of my life. So I surrender to you in that way this morning. Lord, you've faithfully done this for thousands of years in people's lives. You've forgiven them and you've led them. And I'm inviting you to do it again in my life this morning, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As part of your response today, we have a response card that's in your worship guide. And I just want you to think about a couple things. Maybe you said yes to Jesus' leadership or to his forgiveness and you just want to write that down this morning. We'd be glad to pray with you or pray for you. Our prayer team's available as well today. If any time between now and the end of the service, you want to go out down the hall to the left, they're there ready to listen and pray for you this morning. But maybe this morning, part of your response is, I want to take that journey class, that journey intensive that's offered next Saturday. I want, I want to learn how to start this walk with God. I want to learn how to let him lead me. 
maybe this morning part of your response is I need to do the clarify thing because I know I need to make my contribution to God's work all around me in this world and I don't know what my contribution is. So I want to go to clarify and help get that figured out. We have baptism coming up in a few weeks and maybe as part of your yes to God, you say, I I need to be baptized. I've never publicly declared my faith in Christ. Maybe I did it a long time ago when I was a kid, but I need to do it again. I need to make sure that this commitment is one that I have a marker in my life and I remember that I publicly confessed Jesus is the leader of my life. He's my savior. Small groups, whatever the response is for you, if God's prodding your heart and he spoke to you this morning, make sure you respond to him as we worship.